and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. And today we have the honor and pleasure of welcoming back Carl Duvall and Tasha Stafford. Carl has been on a weight loss journey for over a year now, and he is going to continue to share our, uh, his story with us. He had bariatric surgery eight weeks ago and if you guys remember we followed up with him like a week after his surgery and we also did a show a few weeks before his his surgery and Tasha Statford is an expert in bariatric surgery she is also a patient and she helps hundreds and thousands of patients all over the United States um, with bariatric surgery so welcome on the show you guys thank you thanks for having us again yes so Carl tell us a little bit about um, your progress over the last eight weeks? Um, eight weeks has been, I mean, good. I'm almost down 50 since surgery, 49 as of this morning. Um, my goal was to be at 50 by the 4th of next month. That'll be two months, two months on the calendar from when I came home from the hospital. I came home right at 600. So I, I'd like to be down to 550 in the, in the two months since since being home, um, I mean it's good. The thing that's messing with me a little bit is the first two weeks when I got home, I lost thirteen pounds the first week, thirteen pounds the second week. Since then, twenty four or twenty three in the next six weeks. But I think you know I'm realizing more that that was probably a lot of fluid weight that they you know they pumped you full of the IVs constantly when you're in the hospital and all that. And I've had some stalls for a couple of weeks here and there, but I mean, 50 pounds in two months isn't, it's not slow, but I still get frustrated just cause I'm an instant gratification guy. And, uh, I've had this, you know, body that I haven't been able to escape for so long that I just want to, want to get out of it and get going, but it'll get there. I just, I need to know it's a process, which I do, but a lot of times my head gets in the way of that. Well, you're making progress and that is the best thing. And, you know, once one step forward at a time. So congratulations, Carl, on your weight loss. Tasha, yeah. do you, do you have any comments on, on um, Carl's progress and his thoughts? Yeah, Carl, you know, stalls are common post post surgery right because um the amount of energy that you're taking in with food versus versus you know exiting out of your body uh mm -hmm. kind of determines your weight loss right but for us we're bariatric so we're, we're almost in like if somebody was to normally diet you they would have you eating quite a few thousand calories a day probably more like 2800 even 3,000 calories a day, but we're bariatric. So it's really hard to consume that many calories, right? So we're kind of more like in starvation mode. So the yeah. body will adjust because it's figuring out because before surgery, right? It's like it was used to taking in all these calories and being able to perform all these wonderful functions that our body does. And then after surgery, it's a shock factor because mm -hmm. the body's like, well, wait a minute, breaks on, you know, like how much are you feeding me? And so it has to kind of adapt to that because it still has its functions that it has to perform. It has to keep your vision. It has to keep your hair. It has to keep, 
your skin healthy, your heart beating, your, your lungs breathing, um, you know, all the functions our body does. So it's common to have these stalls. So don't get discouraged by that. The most important thing really during the stall process is to really focus on the habits and behaviors. It is my, yeah. does my plate look like it should for a bariatric patient and, and, and your body will kick up losing again. It will, it will keep losing that first year, year and a half. The weight will just start, just fall off. It, it really will. 25 pounds nice. a month is freaking fantastic. That's right. That's almost a pound a day. And Carl, um, I see when she said losing your hair, you pointed to your head. So I'm glad you still have a sense of humor. That is awesome. And that's what keeps us all going is we have to add laughter throughout our day. So I love it. And I was kind of thinking the same thing when she said that. I'm like, well, you know, he does have a lot of hair here. Okay. So um, Janet, do you have uh, questions? For I Carl? do. So um, I know when you first started uh, eating after your surgery, Carl, it was pretty limited to liquid um, diet. But I'm assuming now that has changed for you. What does your what does your uh, food look like today that you can intake? Um, as of right now, I can basically eat anything that I can cut with a fork. Anything I don't need a knife for. I'm that's the stage I'm at right now. Up until Thursday, then they said I don't have limitations. So. Um, I can start eating like basically right now I don't eat like a steak or pork chop or something like that, that I would need a knife to cut a lot of chicken, um, tuna, a lot of eggs, not a lot of eggs, but eggs in the morning, usually two eggs and two pieces of, or two like turkey sausage links maybe, which is so weird. I mean, I, I made a post last week that, it's confusing to me because this is a completely different program than what I was doing when I lost the weight prior. Um, all I did then was basically I knew, I knew what I could eat as far as quality foods, but all I concentrated on was calorie intake. Now that's a struggle because that's not, because it's nowhere near what I was taking in before I was, before I was doing about, I wanted to stay between 24 and 1800 a day is what my goal was. Um, now I'm lucky if I hit a thousand, maybe 1200 on a good day and just getting enough protein in your day. That's usually, that's like the major uh, thing in your diet is just getting proteins. They want 80 grams of protein a day, which is hard when you have, you know, a smaller stomach plus, I'm getting better at putting the liquids in. I finally got up to about 64 ounces a day, which has been a real struggle for me. So, I mean, not even the same program as I was doing before. So it's confusing. Um, and that's another reason why it's frustrating. Like she was saying, you don't take in nearly as many calories as you did before, but the weights actually, like I was losing at this rate sometimes, you know, before when I was taking in. 2000 calories, 1200 or uh, 2200 a day. But so that makes it a little bit frustrating. I don't know what I was expecting, but and I, I mean, if I just look at the overall picture, I'm doing just fine. It's just so help um, also expand on how not just your eating habits, but how has your day to day life changed as far as getting around the house? Have you been able to get out at all? Um, how have those things changed? 
Um, <clears throat> now that I've started to be able to actually get more protein and actually eat normally, I'm getting my energy back. Um, I know when I first got back, like a couple weeks after surgery, I attempted to go outside in the garage. And when I came back up the stairs, that, I mean, it was completely different than before surgery. I had zero energy. I barely, like, I could barely get up the stairs. And now that's not a problem. Uh, I've taken a couple of drives, not very far, just just to get out of the house. Um, <clears throat> my mental energy is not matching up with my physical energy yet. So that's, that's a mind game. I want to go do more. My body just doesn't, doesn't allow it yet, either just size wise or energy level wise. So <clears throat> that's a kind of a balance that I'm trying to, trying to get here that I would like, I want to just go out and go. I, because my men, mentally, I want to. Before, when I was at my heaviest, I didn't want to do anything. I took all I could just get out of bed in the morning. And now I actually want to go do stuff. There was a, I think this last week in Metallica had a, even a drive-in, uh, they did a drive-in concert deal at, a, at the drive-in theaters, a couple around here. And I wanted to go do that. Mentally, I wanted to go do that. I know I wouldn't be able to sit in a car and not be in pain for that long. But just things like that, um, just getting around the house is a lot easier. I don't have any any, any struggles really doing anything around the house. Um, but, yeah, it's just my body's not quite where I want, where my mind wants it to be. But, I mean, Bill. Tasha. Well, thanks for sharing that, um, Carl. And Tasha, you being the expert and working with lots of people in these same situations, do you have anything to comment about the mind-body thing? I do. You know, after bariatric surgery, we go through body dysmorphia, right, where we don't quite identify with ourselves as we're losing the weight. So, Carl, how how did you envision yourself when you when you looked at yourself in the mirror at 713 pounds and then you look at yourself in the mirror – um, and, you know, today at 551, do you see a disconnect or are you, are you connecting along your, your weight loss journey? I'm more disconnected in the mirror than I am pictures. If I see myself in the mirror, I don't see it as much as far as how big I am. If I see myself in pictures, I definitely see it. I I avoid, I still don't look in the mirror really. Um, cause it's not, it's not about appearance for me right now. It's just about living again. So I'm not, I'm not worried about what I look like. Um, and it never was about that for me. I mean, I almost died, you know, last year. So, I mean, I'm just here saving my life is what I'm doing. It's, I'm sure later when the pounds come off, you know, I'll have the skin issue to deal with, you know, some of that stuff will pop up. But as of right now, it's not, it's not on my brain at all. Well, Carl, congratulations because you, you probably did save your life because, you know, April of 2019, you were knocking on death's door. And if you didn't make some changes, then you would probably not be alive. Um, so congratulations on doing that, buddy. And, you know, yeah. although it's not easy and there's a long road ahead of you, 
um, you know, you're, you're still here with us and, you know, your story is incredibly motivating, um, and inspirational because, um, people can make changes just like you, you have done. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. So Janet, do you have some questions for Carl? I do. So, um, I, I guess one of the goals of losing weight is for you was survival and, how how is that um, translating into your relationships with your family? I mean, how are they perceiving your progress and how your friends and is it increased activity, discussions, or what's happening with that? Um, Family-wise, um, I think with my dad, things have improved a bit. Well, for for various reasons not just that but um we used to live together we don't anymore so that helps a lot uh, <laughs> not being in each other's space all the time um my brothers be honest with you i mean our communications basically how it's been um they're both pretty busy things are kicking back up so their their works keeping them busy again um but they're both I mean, they're both still supportive. My brother, when I, when you mentioned that two people reached out to me and supported me in different ways, one was my older brother and he was just asking me how things were going. And I was telling him, you know, my struggles of not losing at the rate where I thought I should be. And he, he asked me like, well, where are you at? And I, you know, said, I'm at that time, I think I was 45 pounds or something. It was a few days ago. And I said, I want to get to 50 by the two-month mark. And he's like, how is that not a good rate? He goes, I don't understand. Like, how, how is that not a successful? And I was like, well, I guess, I guess it is if you look at it from the outside in. But like I said, I'm just not patient. And I just want things to, to go. I want it to be next summer already and able to actually go do a lot of things. And it's just... It's probably, you know, I have, when you, when you're stuck in that mindset of not being able to do anything for so long and it starts to mess with you that you're not going to be able to do anything for, you're not going to be able to do anything again. I mean, that's where I was. I just succumbed to the fact that this is your life and wanting something more for yourself wasn't in the cards when, when I was at my heaviest and now it is. And I want it sooner than my body's doing it, but it'll, it'll even itself out and it'll be worth it when I get to it. Absolutely. So Tasha, do you want to um, comment on, the body dysmorphia issue a little more and, you know, Carl not wanting to look at himself in the mirror. I'm going to assume that that goes away. Um, cause it seems like you don't have a problem with looking yourself in the mirror cause we see you on Facebook a lot and that's a good thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, can you comment on that a lot? Cause I'm going to guess that, you know, when you were at your heaviest, you didn't want to look in the mirror either. So. No, I didn't. So, and then I want to come back to Carl's bucket list of things that he has planned to do. Right. What's your more mobile? Carl, I'm super excited to hear, like, what's your first thing you want to go do? 
Um, but so we'll go to the body dysmorphia first. So, uh, yeah, you know, when I was at my heaviest, Carl, I didn't look at myself in the mirror either because what happened is my inner critic would come out and my inner critic would just degrade me. I, she would call me names, you know, how, how did I let myself get this fat? Like, why am I doing this to myself? And I was such a superstar, like with work. And then I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get my crap together dieting. Like, why can't, like, you can do this so well, but why can't you do this? So, Carl, do you have that internal battle that goes on with yourself as you're losing and trying to recognize yourself as you're seeing the changes in your face and you're seeing the changes in your, in just your overall, you know, body structure? Do you have those thoughts that kind of cross your mind or, and are you just identifying with yourself along the whole process because this is about health for you? Um, right now it's, it's a health thing for me. Um, I, I have internal conversations with myself, um, you know, going through therapy before this process. I think a lot of people struggle with not, not thinking they deserve happiness and that brings self-sabotage that brings in everything and eating habits and relationships and all of that. Um, so like before I would always, always self-sabotage anything if I screwed up. So I, I told you on one of the podcasts that I went to Chicago for the uh, biggest loser resort and I was there for a month, lost 45 pounds and came back and continued the program. But what I would do is every Friday I would weigh in and if it was a good weigh in, I'd head right to Moses Lake, go get fast food. That was my reward. So I rewarded myself with the stuff that was hurting me before. And now it's, I mean, I weigh every day, so I'm not rewarding myself because I'm seeing a bigger, a bigger picture, which is probably why the, the frustration, because I still have 300, some close to 300 pounds that I want to lose. So that's a long, that's a long journey. And, but I do have those conversations internally with myself with, I need to tell myself that it's going to be worth it. I'm worth it. Um, just, but right now, as far as anything goes, it's just a health thing for me. Um, cause it's still, it's still new. It's still a new process as far as this surgery and my body's not really, I mean, it is responding, but it's not used to what I'm doing to it yet. And so I don't know if that really answered your question, but. How, now, how long did you go through counseling before you had your surgery? Because I had mine in Mexico, so I had no counseling before my surgery. I didn't have I didn't have surgery counseling. I had just trying to get to the root of why I became heavy. And um, this is before I was even in the program to get the surgery. Uh, counseling for surgery, I had to have one evaluation for make sure I was mentally okay. And so I had an interview with a psychologist and she passed me. And then I've had, then I 
got back in contact with the counselor I had previous and we talked once and she'd been, she's been through the surgery and she was just like, I don't really think you need ongoing counseling right now. You said you might later, but as of right now, just if something comes up, give me a call. But she said, I don't, I don't think you need, but this is like maybe two or three weeks after surgery. So I was just in this daze of what just happened to me and I'm drinking, eating baby food and not really sure what's going on. So I'm a huge supporter in your social network. So it sounds to me like you have your doctor, you have your counselor who's there when you need her. Uh-huh. Then you have your family support, right? And so are you finding that your, 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 your network is growing, that your support network is growing? Have you, have you gotten any negative feedback from people about the, the amount of weight loss or how fast you're losing it or just having bariatric surgery in general? Or are you finding that your support network is, is growing nicely? Um, I had a pretty big, you know, Facebook, all my follow the people that follow my story on there have always been real positive. I've had one or two people that are like, I think you can do this without surgery. And I said, well, I also hit 713 pounds without surgery and external help. So I'll go ahead and take a different path this time and see how that, see how that goes. But overall, 99% has been completely positive and supportive and don't even try to give me tips because no one really knows, you know, no one, the majority of people don't know what bariatric surgery entails. And I have a few friends that have had it that have reached out to me and just told me their, their story, you know, don't, don't, don't be discouraged and it'll, it'll happen. Like, one said it takes a couple of months and all of a sudden your body will just start dropping, you know, and it's like, I'm kind of looking forward to those days. <laughs> it's like, be like the first couple of weeks, but so, yeah. Well, still 50 pounds over two months. I mean, that's a pound a day and, you know, Tasha can comment on this more, but, you know, speaking of network and speaking of, you know, just um, the right connections, I'm, I'm glad that we connect you with Tasha because she is an expert in this area and she can help you along the way. Um, because I can't imagine going through this surgery and not really having somebody that's really experienced it that has a lot of experience and expertise in the area to, um, you know, ha- to help navigate it. I can't ha- believe having somebody with that, that you, um, you know, I mean, it just, it has, you have to have a support group. I would sure thank you. You have a comment about that? Tasha? Absolutely. I just, uh, in my membership, I actually just, we just went through curating our social media. So basically cleaning up anything that doesn't make you feel good. So a lot of times in our weight loss journey, uh, cause social media is very big, right? So Instagram, Facebook, what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves to somebody who's like us, but they're not us. So we're all losing weight at different rates. We're all living life in different ways, you know, our body, you know, somebody may, you know, be kind of look like me, but she may be 10 years older than me. Right. But we'll still compare ourselves to these results. So one of the exercises that we went through uh, was actually curating our social media and making it positive. So when I left or closed out of my Facebook account, I left feeling good about myself, not feeling horrible about myself because I'm comparing, I'm comparing myself to what I think the way things should happen and they're not happening that way or the way that I should look or my skin should look 
or my hair should look. It, we will compare ourselves to all these different factors, but she's not me or Carl, he may not be you. Right. And so we get out of our social media feeling like crap again about ourselves because we're comparing ourselves. And so we went through and we cleaned up everything, like people who don't support you groups that you don't want to be in and just like cleaned it up because having a large, well, I don't even necessarily know large, but a good social support network from your friends, your family, people on social media that you don't even know that are interested in your journey and like to follow you. And they're your supporters versus people who, um, and these comments may or may not come, Carl, you know, will, you know, criticize you for taking the easy way out. And it's, it's not an easy way. If I was successful at dieting, I would have dieted. I wasn't. So I took the next step to gain control back of my life, right? And mm -hmm. Carl did the same thing for his health. And you'll get people who will make you feel crummy about making that decision. But that was the best decision for me. And that was the best decision for Carl. It's not necessarily the best decision for everybody. But along the way, we have to really focus on our habits and behaviors and feeling good about ourselves and watching things that crept in. Because there was a reason why we ate to the point that I was over 300, Carl was over 700. There were reasons why we did that. And it's so important during your journey that you have people to help you along the way so that you can recognize why you did certain behaviors. Because if you don't, they don't change and they'll come back in. Yeah. So speaking of those behaviors, Carl, when you were on the TV show and you did that little deserted island deal, you said you rewarded. Well, it wasn't a TV show. It was oh. just the, it was the business program. It was that's right. Yeah, it was. It wasn't televised or anything. It was just it was their model of losing weight. Then it was just a resort that you went to. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for correcting me on that. So you said you'd weigh and you'd lose weight, and then your reward would be you come home and eat fast food. Now my guess is my ignorance on on bariatrics. So Tasha and Carl, help me. My guess is that would be impossible to do right now. Is that correct? No, you not could, impossible at all. You could do it. I could do it, not as much. But you I'm just surprised. Get... I'm surprised at what I can eat right now. Actually, okay. My my uh, the total amount of food I can eat is a little surprising. I mean, I'm not overdoing it, but if I wanted to have a hamburger somewhere, I could eat it. And but would you get sick? Uh, would you? No. Possibly? No. Okay. All right. I've had hamburger home at home with the, you know, not hardly anything on it, just the meat and like a, a thin witch bun type thing. But, yeah. and it's, and I'm full. Don't get me wrong. I'm full after it. But before, two Big Macs, a double quarter pounder of cheese, no problem. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, nope. and Sean, the, the surgery is just a tool, right? It's just a tool. Right. He, we, Carl's like me, he had the sleeves. So it just reduced our stomach size. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, what we put in our mouth can still go in our mouth. Just the quantity is lower, but then in an hour you could eat a little bit more. So you could go back to that, you know, oh, okay. right. you know big, right. whatever, but the, it's just a tool, but it's whether we, we choose to do fast food or we choose to say, you know what, that was what I did that got me to 713 pounds. That's not what I do today after the surgery. So then it comes down to choice. Yeah. Right. 
So Janet, you had some questions medically about um, what's yeah. going on with Carl? So Carl, prior to um, the surgery, you had quite a life-shaking event where um, basically it shook you to the core to decide that, you know, this was going to put me in the ground if I didn't change. Um, so you got past that. And, and I'm just curious as to see what is, has improved in your overall health as far as um, any disease states or, or medication or how, how you perceive your overall health right now. Um, I don't, I don't know because doctor's appointments are kind of hard to come by. I'm going to go get blood work done within the next couple of weeks. I'll have my three month checkup so I can look at all my, my levels and stuff. Um, but as far as I haven't had any doctor's appointments or checkups to know, I'm still on the same medicines. I haven't changed anything for that. So as far as like numbers and hard facts, I can't give any of those. Um, I check my blood pressure and it's basically kind of the same as what it was, which is low, really low actually. Um, so they have talked about taking me off some of my, I have two blood pressure medicines. They've talked about reduce, at least reducing them. Um, but as far as anything else, like I don't have any test results or anything to go off of to see if anything's improving. I would assume they are, but I don't, I can't tell you any, any numbers or be truthful about any of that. So Tasha, is that fairly common eight weeks out? Um, you know, when they had medical issues, especially beforehand to, um, not have a follow-up with a, with their doctor. Is that pretty common? What's, what's the usual routine? No, no, it's not. I mean, usually you're following up, you know, a couple weeks. I had a two week follow-up. I had a month follow-up Then my next one's three months. Perfect. Okay. All right. I just wanted to, what I'm saying is they didn't do any blood work. They just talked to me to see how I was doing. Oh, okay. Your PCP versus your surgeon. You have different appointments because your primary is the one who probably puts you on your blood pressure medicine. Um, one of, yeah, he put me on, yeah, he put me on my blood pressure medicine. I'm having my three month follow up with the surgeons and the other two appointments were with my surgeons, but and it's important to follow up with both your surgeon and your primary because you're losing weight so drastically that you may be able to get pulled off your medication. So you don't want to be taking, and Sean can answer, address this one better than I can, taking medications that you don't need because they can cause adverse side effects because now your, your blood pressure may be restoring to normal, but yet you're taking blood pressure and it's, you, it could be drop, dropping you below. So Sean, you may, you're, you're, you guys are better equipped to answer that question than I am with medications and, and not needing them. Yeah, and so thanks for clearing that up, Carl, is that you did have follow-up with your surgeon, but from what I understand, you didn't have follow-up with your primary care doctor who was prescribing your blood pressure medications and, you know, treating your other disease states before surgery. Um, That, to me, I'm kind of a little bit surprised about. That's why I asked the question. Um, My... I would think that you probably, I think Tasha was kind of alluding alluding to this. I don't uh, want to put words in her mouth, but you probably should have been following up with them just as much as you're following up to your surgeon. So probably two weeks after, four weeks after, and then eight weeks. Um, My concern with your blood pressure is, Carl, I'm glad you're checking it. That's a great thing that you're monitoring it. I'm I'm super excited about that. And you say it's low. Um, My concern is, is if it gets too low, you can get dizzy, and then you can fall, and that could be catastrophic. 
So that's I, what my doctor told me. It's 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 at the same level that it was pre-surgery. Okay. Uh, when I lost my weight, which is low. I mean, I checked it the other day, and it's you're gonna say, yeah, that's low. You need to probably do something. It was ninety-five over fifty-five was my blood pressure. I'm surprised you're not dizzy on that. But your body has yeah, probably compensated and you know you're doing okay there. So but it does And they seem- told me that's they cuz they they don't know which medicine to take me off. Is what my doctor was saying. So he says if as long as you're not getting dizzy, lightheaded, your energy's kind of where you need it to be. They said we just want to kind of wait it out right now until it gets lower and you start having issues. I think it's low. I think it's too low right now, but uh, they know and, about it. And what ended you up in the hospital was your congestive heart failure, correct? Blood clots and congestive heart failure. And Okay. And so how is that all doing? How is your heart failure doing and how the blood clots are um, resolved, I'm guessing? So tell me a little bit about that. The heart, the heart issue was corrected – and my heart was really strong six months after the episode. Uh, they said it was temporary due to the blood clots, the, the heart failure. And they, they did the test on it, and it was full back to full function. Uh, it didn't enlarge. So he said he was really excited about the, the results. In fact, like six months after I had that test or I had the episode in the hospital, he said, you could have surgery tomorrow, and I wouldn't have any issue with it. So that's corrected itself. I'm assuming blood clots. I'm on blood thinner medicine. I'm on Xarelto. So um, they've reduced. They said they're going to try to reduce that after a year of taking it. Um, reduce it in half. Then after that, they said probably take me off of it. So. Well, and especially as you lose weight and you become more mobile, you'll be less susceptible to blood clots. So. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited that they you caught your heart. You went to the doctor and went to the hospital with your heart failure before you had permanent damage. That's super exciting. And just a reminder that, you know, um, the earlier the intervention you get, the better. Because um, that could end up in a very, a very, very sad, bad story. So you are... I almost, I almost feel like my body betrayed me by not giving me warning signs before that. Because, I mean... Like we were talking about, I didn't have whatever this, the things you needed to qualify for. I mean, what qualified me is I needed knee replacement. Not my size, not my BMI, not my, you know, pre-diabetes, none of that. I needed new knees. So that's what approved me for the surgery. And if you can get up to 700 pounds before your body says, hey, you're not going to be here if you keep doing that. That's kind of feels like my body right. didn't have a warning system was kind of screwed up. Well, I, I think it's a reminder to to um, us as healthcare professionals, and Jan and I talk about this a lot on our podcast. Is that you know numbers aren't black and white. Whether it be your blood pressure is a good example. I mean, honestly, most people with a blood pressure like yours, they couldn't stand up. I mean, seriously, yeah. they they would fall over. So it's a perfect example. For whatever reason, you fall outside of the norms, which we're all unique individuals, so a lot of us fall out of the norm. So whether it be cholesterol, I mean, from what I remember, you didn't have any hypercholesterolemia, right? You didn't have high cholesterol, right? 
when I got it checked, it was 140. Yeah, I, very, very uncommon for somebody with with um, your kind of conditions. You didn't have diabetes yet. Um, now, but here again, how do we measure diabetes? We measure it by blood glucose only, and that's the gold standard. So they probably measured a hemoglobin A1C to average your blood glucose over 90 days. My guess is they didn't check your insulin level. My guess is your insulin level was off the chart, um, and that is what because you are insulin resistant. Obviously, you had some kind of metabolic problem going on or you wouldn't be 700 pounds. And yeah. that's why it really is frustrating in the traditional healthcare system because we're also black and white. And it's like, oh, you're normal. I don't know what to tell you. You're normal. And you're a perfect example, Carl. So um, it's too bad you had to get that far, but I'm glad that you've, you're turning that around. So kudos well, to here, you. Here's another example of black and white. When I got out of the hospital, I think I went back for a checkup or something. I can't remember the timeline, but I, they were checking my INR levels because they had me on warfarin first. Yep. And they wanted you between two and three. And so they checked my blood at the hospital in Spokane. I drove home or I came home. They called me about two and a half hours later and says, your level's at eight. Go to the emergency room right now. If you start bleeding, you're not going to stop. So, of course, I'm freaking out, and I had just taken another dose of warfarin because it's a nighttime medicine. I go to the emergency room in Ephrata. My level then was 8.9. They said, we can't touch you unless you're at a 9. Like one point. I, 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 I get it. I get it. We hear, we hear it all the time. Janet, yeah. do you want to do you want to discuss I, normal I, lab levels versus optimal levels? Right. So, um, unfortunately, in our our system today, we we can't um, decide on a level of um, common sense that you know um, it's it's we're treating numbers, we're not treating patients, and labs are tools. Um, it's no different than your surgery is a tool. Um, mm -hmm. Labs are tools to help us make decisions, but practicing medicine takes you to a different art level. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm flabbergasted sometimes when I hear that people can't be treated because their level is, you know, it's almost there, but not quite. And so mm -hmm. um, I, you know, uh, I, is, I like, that more about, is that more about legal reasons for the, for the hospital? I think some of it can be legal, but Carl, honestly, I think some of it is that providers need to um, pay attention to what is actually happening for a patient because um, what might be normal for one is not normal for somebody else. And, and that's when you have to look at your, your client and your patient and decide, you know, do I intervene now or do I wait? And um, that comes down to being a clinician um, because you know, we can look at numbers all day long, but a, a number does not, that's not the patient in front of us, you know. Um, there's many, many labs out there that, you know, the normal range is, is large. Um, but if this, if there's symptoms, if you were bleeding, treat. You know, if you're that close, you know, there's, there's a point where we have to um, get over the number and actually take care of a patient, I guess, is where I am stuck with it because, um you know, many times throughout our training, we're taught, you know, that number is just a snapshot in time, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that, that time lapse between, you know, being safe and unsafe is, is maybe very short. So 
good thing that you were in in the ER, but you know it's it's too bad that we have went to that extreme that you know oh no I can't take care of that because it's right here and and that's yeah it was just it was two totally different attitudes the the deaconess in Spokane called me and act like if I had a hangnail I would have been dead I go to Euphreda and they said well if you're not bleeding or it's not at nine we can't do anything just go home and try not to bleed until your levels get down and I get home and I sit down right where I'm at right now and right when I sit down I get a bloody nose for 45 minutes of course and I was like do I go back they're what are they going to do if I go back it'll probably be done by the time I get there then they'll just send me home again but yeah. Well, yeah, well I'm sorry that happened to you Carl and unfortunately that story is all too common. Um and here's what one of the reasons I think that happens is that um doctors and healthcare providers they let insurance companies dictate patient care and I'm sure that when Afreda said that they knew that they wouldn't get paid for that diagnosis unless you were at a 9. And so they couldn't admit you. 8.9 wasn't good enough unless you ha- were bleeding. So, you know, there again, the clinicians are letting a health insurance company um, dictate um, care. And that's something that's just got to stop. In fact, I wrote a book about it. The book is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. It's got a six-step solution on how to fix our um, healthcare system. Um, it's available on Amazon. Go to It's on Kindle form now. And go to Amazon and download that. Also, this year, it's going to be available on audiobook and on paperback. So stay tuned for that. So, Carl, thank you for that story. That's a, um, a very a reminder to a lot of patients that, you know, they, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And one of the goals of our podcast is to educate and empower consumers that they need to be responsible and take charge of their own health care. So um, thank you for, for that, that story, Carl. So Tasha, do you, Oh, go ahead, Carl. Even the fact of what it took for to get me qualified for that surgery shows how messed up it is. For sure. Yeah. Who would look at me at 713 pounds? Oh, no, I don't, he's not, he he doesn't need that. It just goes to show you again, the numbers are black and white. If you would have had, I think we were discussing on the first time you're on our podcast, if you would have had diabetes and you would have had, you know, some other underlying um, diseases, they would have done it. But, you know, uh, you fell outside those norms. So unfortunately yeah. you had to suffer for that. And that's really too bad. Fortunately, too healthy for surgery. Yeah. And, and fortunately <laughs> you, you know, I mean, it, this is scary and sad to say, but, um, you could have died. Fortunately you lived, but I mean, th- th- that rationing could have actually killed you. So that's a really sad state of affairs. So good, good thing you turned your life around. So yeah. Tasha, do you have any and comments John- about that? I do. So two points on that. So one, two is our employers also dictate uh, bariatric surgery. So I worked for a large bank and they would not, they didn't allow bariatric surgery as part of their plans. Although I had um, medical issues going on that qualified before it, my employer, it was out of the plan. So I, that's why I went to Mexico and, and paid for mine. Number two, Carl, I would encourage you, because you're going to be going through blood work, right? Like three months, six months, usually a year, then kind of like every year after that. What I what I personally did, because I'm like Sean, I do come from a medical family, so I believe in being your own advocate as well, um, is what I used to do and what I still do is, and even though I'm seven years out, I would get copies of my lab results 
And then when I would get my next lab results, I would compare because I wanted to see my trends because a lot of us don't absorb like the next person does. You know, I may have an absorption issue with a certain vitamin, you may not. And so what I wanted to do is make sure that I wasn't trending down, even though they were telling me I was within optimal levels, but I wanted to see what my trend was. So I would encourage you as you get your lab results done, just ask for a copy from the lab and then just keep them and then you're see what you're doing. I get them through my chart, so they they automatically send them to me. That's a yeah. That's read them, but yeah. Well, that's a great point, Tasha and um, Carl. If you want to share those with with me, I can go over those with you and um, you know help help you interpret them. And we would love to you know have you on the podcast again, maybe in a few months or more, um, to kind of see what those trends are and how your medical issues are going. So. Um, what, go ahead, Janet, you have a question? Um, well, I don't have a question. I just kind of have a comment. Um, I'm glad Tasha brought this up to you, Carl, because many times we do not look at our labs and our nutrient levels as being really important. And they are, they're critically important because even just during development of our body, certain nutrients, um, you know, are key. So, and as we live our life and as we, um, go from our day to day, if we're missing nutrients, we can feel really bad. And to, yeah. to avoid those things, you know, it's really easy to add those back in if you know they're being depleted and, or you're not absorbing them as well. Because obviously the surface area has decreased with the, surf, with the surgery. So that is something um, that Tasha pointed out uh, that's really going to be important in your journey. And probably even seven years out, Tasha, you are looking at your labs to make sure that, hey, I'm, I'm not missing this because simple things like nutrients, vitamins, minerals can be really important. And um, we've had patients that we've treated for years with uh, replacement therapy and, and, you know, they weren't quite feeling right. And then it was like, oh, it was their vitamin D or it was their uh, B12. And so we overlook these things very commonly in the healthcare industry, um, as as providers, we don't clue into them, and so um, that could be very helpful in your journey. Yeah, I'm really low on vitamin D. I know that. Um, when I do look at my labs, I mean, they you're right. They have they have this number of where you know there's this graph, and there's these two arrows. You need to be in between those two arrows, and you're fine, right? So you know you look at them, and I'm in between every arrow. So, hey, I must be doing good, but I know there, there's more to it than that. Right. And that's what we talk, that's what we at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy talk to our patients a lot about is that, you know, the difference between normal levels and optimal levels, vitamin D is a perfect example. I am going to guess, Carl, it, you know, should come as no surprise. Your vitamin D level is probably not optimal. It's probably in the toilet for multiple reasons. You're not outside a lot. Um, vitamin D is produced in our skin in response to sunlight. You're not getting a lot of that right now. Hopefully next year, next summer you will be. And, um, you know, when you do have bariatric surgery, you have absorption issues. And vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. It is a little bit harder to be absorbed. It's You, you have to take it with a little bit of food or something like that to make it the best absorbed. Um, so my guess is your vitamin D is not optimal. It may be normal. Here's one of the things I suggest, Carl, when you get your blood test, and, and let's realize this. Just like Tasha says, you need to be your own best advocate. You need to ask the doctors to do certain tests. Vitamin D is an important one. 
If there is one nutrient, one supplement you can take, I would suggest it be vitamin D because it has so many benefits in the body. So make sure they test your vitamin D. Janet, I, are you on it now? Um, yeah, but I can't take it right now because I can't have anything solid. So, Did they tell you that? But I take I take the bariatric vitamins that they recommend. I do, I take those four times a day. Okay, most know. of the time, multivitamins. I don't know the specific one you're on. Do not have enough vitamin D. You have to supplement with vitamin D separately. Tasha, can you comment on why he couldn't take vitamin D because it's solid? I mean, can you take capsules? No. Should you be t- take capsules now? Yeah, Carl, you're you're two months out. Well, they tell me after eight weeks, you can start taking pills normally. You don't have to crush them anymore. So starting Thursday, I can start taking normal pills. But as of now, yeah, I, I crush everything. I would make sure with your bariatric doctor, because I was allowed to start start my medication um, uh-huh. almost immediately. So I, I would mean, make I sure. Take, I, take all my, I take all my medicine. I just have to crush it into powder form. So Yeah. And one yeah, of the... Because our vitamins so so crucial i mean seven years post op i knew something was wrong with my body but my doctor my primary kept on telling me i was falling within optimal ranges and i okay i, I get i'm falling within optimal ranges but i feel like crap i'm telling right. you something is wrong i ended up transitioning to a new doctor who specializes in women's health well guess what was low seven years post-op well this was six years post-op because i started with her last year my vitamin d was extremely low and my testosterone as a female was extremely low and I'm beginning to start entering into the stages. So, um, you know, make sure like a, like, like Sean was talking about vitamin D, our vitamins are so crucial. And, um, a lot of bariatrics don't get that, that you might test fine. And then the next test you're testing extremely low vitamin D is one and iron iron are the two. Those are the two that we tend to fall really, really low on. Yeah. Here's another tip too, Carl, coming from a pharmacist. Um, you might not be able to swallow tablets without crushing them up. Um, realize capsules, um, a lot of vitamin D. I know the one we have at our pharmacy, it is in a capsule form. You can take that capsule, you can break it open, you can put it in water, you can you can eat it straight if you wanted to. It might not taste good. Vitamin D doesn't taste bad actually. But you can sprinkle it on food, whatever. So realize if you do need something, um, you know, there's multiple ways of getting it in your system, whether it be um, a liquid, a capsule, or a tablet. So I recommend yeah. people breaking open ta- capsules all the time. It's a very easy way to get medication in into your system. So the the ones I have are, I think they're they just look like a gel. Liquid gel. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like that one might be. I'm guessing it's um it's uh, a prescription and that is actually vitamin D2. Um, I like vitamin D3 better if, if you it's want. vitamin D3. It is vitamin D3? Good. Yeah. Um, 500, 500, 500 or 5,000? 5,000. 5,000. Good. Because 5,000 every day is what most patients need between four and 10,000 a day. So that's what's good. What's the good level for vitamin D? I think I was at a 13.5 last time I was checked. It needed to be, what, 25-ish? Well, if you're at a 13.5, that's way low. Um, yeah. uh, normal is 30 to 100. I will tell you what I really <laughs> shoot for in my patients is um, over 60, so 60 to 100. Um, oh, if you were at 13.5, I'm guessing you weren't supplementing. Now, maybe you have some malabsorption issues for multiple reasons, and maybe you need a s- extremely high dose because you're never out in the sun. So it just depends. I, 
I supplemented. They tested me. As I was at 12.5. I took them for three months, and it raised it up a point to 13. Yeah, you probably have some malabsorption issues. That's not uncommon. There's some other issues that you that you know we can fix to help that. Um, right now, you're in the middle of a lot of absorption type issues, so we're gonna have to figure out the right doses. They might have to double or triple that dose um, in order to get to get your levels to optimal. But vitamin D is so important right now. Yeah. And always, it is always important. Yeah, so, I'll definitely be talking to my doctor because I got to go get blood work. They're going to check my potassium level because I was having some, I was retaining water. I had like, a, yeah, I had a couple of days where I gained five pounds in two days and I took, like, I wasn't, I took a water pill and I lost six pounds, you know, the next day. And I was, <laughs> so I'm absorbing water for some reason, probably because probably I'm not, I wasn't drinking enough at the time, but. They have me on Lasix now for a daily Lasix now, but well, that'll get rid of your potassium. That's probably why they're checking your potassium too. Are you taking any extra potassium? Yeah, they gave me potassium to take. Good with it. Okay, so perfect, perfect. All right, well, we're wrapping up um, our hour and our podcast. Uh, Janet or Tasha, do you have any questions, comments for for Carl or for our general listeners and viewers? Carl, I think your weight loss is fantastic. I, I am obviously 100% pro bariatric surgery to gain control yeah. of our health and our lives back. Um, I think your weight loss is fantastic. You should be very, very, very proud. Uh, I watch you on Facebook. I read your posts. I read people's comments um, as well. I think you're doing a great job. Just stay on top of your, your vitamins and your laps. I mean, that is so crucial um, you know, during this time and don't ever not take them, you know, don't ever stop taking them. But I, yeah. I think you're doing a, a great job and, you know, coming from like 700 pounds, you're going to be going through so many, um, changes with your body from just being immobile to mobile and muscles that you're, you know, you're, you're going to start using muscles that you probably haven't really used before. And, um, I'm super excited to hear about your bucket list, like all the things that you, you plan on doing once you hit certain weight thresholds, because you're, you're right. When you said I went to here and when I lost weight, I would eat fast food. We can no longer do that as bariatric patients. We can no longer reward ourselves with food because that is what got us obese. So by you rewarding yourself with like the things that you want to do on your bucket list, that's totally awesome. So super excited to see that on Facebook. Hopefully concerts will be open up back back next summer so I can start doing that again. Yeah, I sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what Tasha is saying. Carl, your journey is amazing. I know when we're in the midst of of a walk we don't always see how we encourage other people. And and there's other people out there, Carl, that are watching and they may not be commenting, but they're seeing your success and um you know, I'm very proud of you as well, Carl. I, I understand how serious this was for you. I've had clients that, you know, their wake-up call didn't happen um, and they didn't make it. So I, 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 I want to give you as much kudos and um, just keep going, Carl, because you never know that person might uh, show up someday and say, you know, I watched you, Carl, and you inspired me. So keep going. Thank you. I love the biggest, it. I love the it. The biggest well, compliment I got was my daughter. I don't see my daughter a whole lot. She lives on the west side. She came over two week two weeks ago, last two weeks ago, and she didn't say anything to me, but she went home and told her grandma 
dad's so happy now. Mm. Like, she could see the difference just, and I didn't, I don't, I don't notice it. I mean, I feel it, but to hear her know, you know, to know that she sees the difference and sees the difference in me, that, that was, that was pretty big. Well, I think Carl, I can tell you from, you know, I've only known you for a few months now, but, uh, you know, besides when we were in high school years ago, I just knew of you, but, um, I can tell you, I can see a difference just from when we first interviewed you a few months ago. And, you know, especially when you look at your pictures uh, from April 2019, you're in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, your difference is night and day. I mean, you were knocking on death's door, period. And you should have interviewed, interviewed me then and see the difference. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was, um, it's amazing the transition you've made. So you made a lot Thank of you. progress. And, you know, it might seem slow to you, but hey, 150 pounds. I mean, kudos to you. That's awesome. And you have some good goals and, and those bucket lists. I like that. We had a gal on our um, podcast a few weeks ago and she had a goal of losing some weight. One thing she wanted to do was ride a horse again and skydive. Because, you know, when you skydive, you have a weight limit. So she's got a goal to, to meet that weight limit so she can skydive. And, you know, I mean, what a what a wonderful goal to have. And, and it's very motivating. You have to have goals like that. All of us do. I believe. What's that? 245, I believe, is the weight limit for your first tandem jump out of a skydive. Yeah. And the company we were – I'm sure every company is a little bit different. The company we were looking at was 220. Um, but yeah. I'm sure they have exceptions too. So – um, I, I, you know, it's just great that we, you have goals and I think all of us, whether we have, you know, um, weight loss goals or, 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 um, whether we've had bariatric surgery, we all have to have goals because we, yeah. we got to keep living life. We we're just not, we're just not here putting in our time. We're just not here doing our time. We want to have a purpose in this life and, um, we want to have a passion for what we do. So thank you for encouraging and inspiring others, Carl. You're, you're really an inspiration. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate so. those words. Tasha and Carl, thank you for being on our show. Um, you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where we stream live every Monday, 1 to 2 p.m., right here on Facebook and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. We also are on most of the podcast forums, so iHeartRadio, um, iTunes, um, Google, all those. Um, so um, tune in Thursday. You don't want to miss it. Um, we have um, Ethne Nance. She is a specialist in medical billing. She is going to um, navigate, help us navigate the complicated billing system we have in medicine. Carl, you might want to tune into this and you'll understand about some crazy things and why you have fell through the cracks. So you think it's you, you think those ICD nine codes, you think those diagnosis codes, those doctors write for us are all for our own good. Uh, think again. It's not for patient care at all. Um, he, here's an example. It's actually for research. And here's an example. If it was all about patient care, why is there a diagnosis code for being hit from a fallen space object? I'm not kidding you. There's a diagnosis code for that, which means it's more, it's not about patient care. It's about something else going on. And she is going to help us navigate the system. And she has a few ideas on how to fix it. So stay tuned for that that's Thursday. Well, yeah, that's not common. No. <laughs> um, stay tuned for that Thursday. She'll be uh, streaming in at 8 o'clock uh, a.m. I'm super excited for that. So you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for listening. Thanks.